This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good evening. For many years, I used to teach with, um, once a year, I would teach with a Benedictine monk, Brother David Standelrust. Brother David had a PhD in religious studies and a PhD in psychology. And um, one of the things I heard him say once um, in relationship to what is God, he said, God is closer than ideas or concepts. God is as close and integral as being alive. In, in my idle moments, I've thought of that in relationship to there's several Zen stories where essentially um, monk asks the teacher, what is Buddha? And the teacher says, you are Buddha. This very mind is Buddha. That tree is Buddha. Uh, one answer is a pregnant rabbit. Um, okay. So here's my suggestion to you right now, in terms of exploring this, these ideas, right? Um, think of your day. And think of some incident, some moment, some interaction that happened. And then think of the particulars of it. No? What was the situation? What were the details? What happened? The particulars. As if someone had just said to you, please describe in detail that incident. And then think about what that incident, interaction, moment, think about what it stirred up in your being. What kind of ideas, conclusions, comparisons, 
what kind of emotions maybe even it stirred up a pronounced physical response Then uh, let me offer you a Buddhist teaching in relationship to such things. It, as probably maybe all of you know, there's this Buddhist term, dependent co-arising. Each moment is made up of its constituent parts. Um, I think a good example is a traffic jam. There's an incident that happens, and we call it a traffic jam. That um, without the cars, you couldn't have the traffic jam. And there's nothing that we're calling a traffic jam that has an independent existence from the cars. That the traffic jam is not permanent. It, it's, it's, um, it's just the coincidence of certain factors in the moment. Just like that incident or interaction I was suggesting you look at in your day. It's not permanent. It doesn't have independent being. And it's just the coming together of the constituent elements that were there. And yet, that experience you had today, or that experience that had you, uh, is being alive. You know? and it sort of doesn't matter whether you call it God, or Buddha, or any other thing you want to call it. You know? It's you know we could call it the dynamic energy of life. You know? And what you um, how you responded, even how you describe the incident, says something of you. you know? It's like. Each one of us could have had exactly the same experience. This afternoon, I went with Frank to visit someone. And then 
someone else was there. And this person and Frank started to have an animated exchange about all things Newry. People in Newry, places in Newry, a little bit like a, uh, a competition as to who can describe the greatest number of people or details of Newry. And the other person and I just sat there. Uh, <laughs> and what happened in my, I, it, it was actually, it was very charming to watch for me. I find it charming. Um, and I started to think about ants, you know, little insects. And when they're transferring, transferring information, they, they rub their antennas. And one of the amazing things about ants is they live in colonies. And those colonies can get, like some of them can get on a ship and go to another continent and start a whole big thing. But if they meet each other, you know, Ten generations later, and they came from the same colony, they can recognize it. <laughs> and I was thinking, these two people <laughs> are like, <laughs> they're, they're from the same colony, and they're kind of, you know, connecting, recognizing each other. And if you think about it, how amazing the human mind is that that would come up, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you probably, you could, a thousand people could have witnessed that, and I'd still be the only one who <laughs> thought it had anything to do with ants. <laughs> um, so when you think of that incident that happened today, and you think, Even though it's impermanent, even though it's just the product of it, the elements of it, it's utterly unique co-creation between this conditioned existence and these circumstances. No. You can label it any way you like, and it doesn't embellish or diminish that unique expression of being alive. You know? And, and so I've been teaching about the Heart Sutra. And in the heart of the Heart Sutra, it says, 
and the Bodhisattva dwells, is immersed in this engaging what's happening beyond fixed ideas. And when we engage existence beyond fixed ideas, it, it has this expression of what existence, of what life is about. No. teaches you something about your response in the moment. You know? It teaches you something about how, what kind of associated thoughts, judgments, you know. My judgment was, this is kind of lovely, watching these two have a bit of crack. I just enjoying uh, each other with an exchange of ideas and thoughts. Um, so it's unique and it's universal. No? It was exactly that moment it was exactly the way it was. The response my conditioned existence was having was exactly that. And it was universal. And if you want to call it because it expressed the nature of existence. And so, my good friend and mentor, Brother David, would say, God. Maybe from a Buddhist perspective, we can say, Buddha. But in both of those traditions, the label isn't to um, make it some solid, separate, statue or heavenly being it's to hold up the amazing obvious mystery of being alive what could be more obvious than being what is already happening and in its ever-changing nature in the fact that what's happening goes beyond the opinions, the judgments, the labels, the narrative that we attribute to it. It's a mystery. 
Bodhisattva dwells in Prajnaparamita. Dwells in, lives in, is aware of the wisdom of existence. So it has the details, the wisdom of details. The experience was sitting around a large table. The experience was um, on an afternoon in a city called Belfast. Um, the experience was sitting watching two people to my left. So there's a way in which we know something about the life we're living. There's a way in which when we um, almost like step out of ourselves, step out of this story of the world of life according to me, when we step out of it and we experience, let it be experienced, there's a teaching, there's an, there can be an insight. No. And then there's something about it that just quite simply goes beyond our ideas. And these three aspects, the knowable, the insight, and beyond ideas, these are the three, what you might call, dimensions of wisdom in Buddhist teaching. These are the three dimensions of wisdom that go into our relationship to what's happening. The Bodhisattva dwells in the perfection of wisdom. Bodhi uh, awakening, Sattva, the um, the one who awakens. The one who awakens is present in the moment and has this experience. Or maybe more exactly, the experience has the person. Bodhisattva dwells in Prajnaparamita and the mind is no hindrance. It's not a Buddhist sin to think about ants when you're watching two people talk. <laughs> maybe it's a little strange, maybe it's not, you know? Uh, the mind is no hindrance. 
the mind does express this extraordinary capacity for associated thoughts, understandings, memories, conclusions, you know, that's what the mind does. And when you just see it be what it is, and you don't burden it with, yes, but I should be thinking about something else, or I shouldn't think that, I should be thinking. We create a kind of limitation on the utter uniqueness of the moment. It, it, it's like this moment is a second-rate version of what this other moment could be. We, we sort of miss the point of the uniqueness of this moment. We have this very interesting capacity to make things complicated. And when we can see that process for what it is, it's not a hindrance. It's just what's happening. Oh, right now I'm comparing it to some other way of thinking. Yeah. That would be better. Maybe that other way of thinking would prove that I'm a better person. or would give me a more profound experience. Or maybe the mind says, this moment is so fantastic, I want it to last forever. Okay, that's what's coming up. Or maybe we think, why are we talking about Nuri? It's just a pokey little time down the road. Why we talk about something fantastic like Akna Cloy? And when we just see that thought for what it is, it's not a hindrance. It doesn't diminish or expand the moment. The moment's still just what it is. And it's still temporary, and it's still just the product of the constituent parts. And the Heart Sutra is saying, when we can tune into this, you know, when we can let each moment be an invitation. It's a little bit like 
we're floating in the particular of the moment and we're not part of it even though our conditioned consciousness is creating a sense of separation we're floating in that interconnectedness and that's more like a stream than a, sta a stationary pond and we can be part of that flow the mind is no hindrance and then the Heart Sutra says and without hindrance there's no fear am I going to be okay am I going to be happy am I going to be loved am I going to be long whatever way that fear arises consciously or just is some kind of subliminal agenda that influences how we're expectant about the moment And Dogen Zenji says, when we immerse in the moment, we forget that agenda. We just forget it. When the moment is itself, um, we forget our usual way of wanting it to be something else and the mind is no hindrance and without hindrance no fears exist and then there's an interesting term in Japanese, Sho Shin. And um, Sho means um, flexible, responsive, adaptable, resourceful. Somewhere in that cluster of words. And Shin means heart mind. Adaptable, responsive, heart mind. or as Suzuki Roshi called it, beginner's mind, you know? His famous phrase, in the beginner's mind, in the expert mind, the possibilities are few. In the beginner's mind, there's endless possibility. What are they gonna say next? Do you ever know so-and-so, so-and-so? Oh, yeah. 
That's my cousin's brother-in-law. Hmm. And so rather than life having this uh, sort of limits to it, limit in its possibilities, um, it has this kind of widening possibility. Or as John O'Donohue said about children, he said, children exist, they live in a forest of possibility, a, forest, a, a forest of imaginative possibility. And then we grow up, and because we know so much, we know what's going to happen next. And we already have our opinion about it. We know who, every, who other people are, and we have our opinion. We've already established them as a static, separate, predictable entity. So, show Shin. We don't know. It's not static, it's not predictable, it's not separate. It's, it's part of the ambiotic fluid of awareness that we're part of. And then the person Frank was having this engagement with drove us here in her fancy car with its gleaming white leather seats. I couldn't think if I'd ever sat on gleaming white leather seats before. And left me thinking, this isn't very practical, you know? Because she has two or three kids. I thought, These kids will demolish this in no time. But so what is it? How is it? As the Heart Sutra says, to acknowledge and be part of this dynamic of life, you know. Would it help you as Brother David Standelrust, an utterly marvelous person in my opinion, uh, a lively 92-year-old who's still back in his native Austria, hiking around the Alps, uh, writing, studying, teaching classes online. 
Is it God? Is it as Master Ma said, this very mind is Buddha. This very capacity to be part of consciousness of being. Is that it? Uh, is it as David White says, you know, there's one life you can call being alive and a thousand other names just take your pick call it what you want yeah. and can it be an invitation to this shoshin this fluid responsive um, way of being. Now all that, I hope, sounds uh, appealing. <laughs> There's an old saying in Zen, you know, Talking about Zen, it's a little bit like trying to sell water by the river, you know? <laughs> Let me sell you some awareness. Well, <laughs> there is nothing else in existence. Um, and yet, our capacity for um, shifting out of awareness our capacity to own it to judge it to react to it to desire it to want to avoid it you know as master ma says so one of the stories goes, he said that a lot, this very mind is Buddha. And then one day, uh, one of his impertinent monks said to him, why do you always say this mind is Buddha? No. How annoying people can be. Uh, can't just shut up and do what they're told. And he said, in response to, why do you always say, why do you say that? He said, to stop the baby crying, to address something fundamental in how human distress comes into being. Something fundamental about human distress comes into being. we experience the distress, the agitations of our own wanting more and wanting to avoid. We experience the distress of declaring this not the right moment. 
and we take the resultant course of action. No? We numb out. We daydream. We fantasize, fantasize about being somewhere else. We get angry. How come these two are talking so much? They should be quiet and then I could talk about me. <sighs> or whatever. How we can take any moment and interject self and the agendas of self. And we usually act out those agendas. Um, and the challenge of practice, of Zen practice, of awareness practice, is not to annihilate that aspect of who we are so we can live in this pure realm of interbeing of each moment. It's to let the self that we are to turn towards it and start to experience it. Because the mind is no hindrance. If that's what's coming up, that's part of the mix of the moment. But embedded in what's coming up is our own distress. And so it asks of us to explore within ourselves, to discover within ourselves how to turn towards and see it and feel it and learn from it. And to not let the teachings that we're trying to embody, just create a new way to be discontent. Yeah. A body worker was telling me recently, he said, you know, most people, when they sit down to meditate, rather than just letting their bodies be, they try to maneuver them into the right body, that the proper body of meditating. And so they tend to induce certain tensions. Now, it's not to say that posture isn't helpful, but if posture becomes another demand on being, it becomes its own limitation. To induce or demand that the mind be a certain way, that we think certain thoughts and not other thoughts, or we think no thoughts, It's more that whatever arises, 
we let it be. We experience what arises. And then the woman that Frank was talking to, she said, uh, noticing that they were doing all the talking, which was perfectly fine by me and the other person. We were just amused by them. She said, um, well, what about Zen? And I thought, okay. And I said, try this. Without any attempt to change what's happening in your mind, what you're thinking or feeling, without any attempt to change it. In fact, an attempt to let it just be whatever it is. Just sit there and let that be your agenda. Just close your eyes right now and do that. And then she did it, and after about five seconds, it was just too much, it was too weird. She felt self-conscious. You know, I feel self-conscious. You know? And you think of Dogen saying, and forget the self. But it can't, forgetting the self, you can't do it, you know. Then it's just something else you're doing, something else you're imposing upon the experience. Give over to the experience by experiencing it. And the Heart Sutra says, Bodhisattva dwells in Prajnaparamita and the mind is no hindrance. Without any hindrance, there is no fear and without fear, there's a fluid, a fluid sense of willingness to be. And then usually, things change, the traffic jam goes away, something else happens, and uh, it's pleasant or unpleasant, and something, some impulse within us wants to engage it. And the Heart Sutra says, that's not a problem. It's not a problem that you want to live. It's not a problem that you are the person you are. That you think the thoughts you think and feel the thoughts and feel the feelings you feel. And it's not a problem that other people think the thoughts they think and feel the, th the feelings they feel. That's just 
the nature of existence. And Zen says, if it works for you to call that God, go ahead, call it God. If it works for you to call it Buddha, call it Buddha. If it works for you to call it actualizing Prajnaparamita, go ahead. If it works for you to call it um, honoring the glory of Nuri, well then, call it honoring the glory of Nuri and all its noble inhabitants, bodhisattvas that they all are. Um, But I'll leave you with this notion. Um, what helps you? What helps you in the process of awareness? What reminds you? Oh yeah. What helps you notice where your mind and attitude and heart shift from shoshin, fluid, adaptable, beginner's mind, to some reactive state. And what helps you when that arises, what helps you to let that, invite that into being just what is. Hmm. Is it compassion? Is it patience? Is it vow? Is it dedication? Is it surrender? Um, can anybody else tell you exactly what works for you? Thank you.